Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. I love starting with that song, Joy, this week. Um, I don't know how many of you grew up in a more liturgical setting that are familiar with Advent or not, but this week is actually the third week of Advent. And the first Sunday of Advent, the theme is joy. Uh, If you've ever had an Advent wreath and had the purple and the pink candles and wasn't sure which one went when and when to light, today is the pink candle. In case you go home and you were wondering, today's the pink candle. And part of what this is, is three weeks into this period of waiting, three weeks in, sometimes you just need to remember to be joyful in the waiting. Uh, Last week, we talked a little bit about Advent for those that weren't familiar, that it's an opportunity to step into the story of Scripture, to step into what God was doing, and in some ways to learn how to live in this time that we find ourselves in right now as well. So learning how to wait with those that waited 400 years from the conclusion of the Old Testament to the birth of Christ. We step into four weeks leading up to Christmas. But we also learn how to wait in this period looking forward to His second coming. How many of you are excited about His second coming? Okay, good. I just want to be sure I wasn't the only one that was looking forward to Christ coming and doing everything that He said He was going to do. Setting right everything that feels upside down and broken right now. Thank you, Lord, is right. Also, I'm sorry, I don't know who prayed for James Earl Jones to come preach this morning. The Lord is trying to do what you've prayed for. So if I sound about three octaves lower than I normally do, that's why. Uh, So prayers would be appreciated too for saying what the Lord has to say today. So today's theme is joy because it's important to remember that we're not walking this path alone. So, if you would turn with me to Luke, if you don't have a copy of the Bible and would like a hard copy, ushers will be walking down the aisles, you can raise your hand and let them know that you're interested in one. We're turning to Luke, chapter 1, we're going to start by reading uh, this same passage again, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26 says, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for speaking more than I can speak. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement this last week of just hearing how what you spoke last week fit for where they were. Lord, I ask that you would do it again today. Lord, that we wouldn't settle for last week's word, but that we would hear fresh from you today. Lord, would you speak right into situations? Lord, would your word divide bone and marrow thoughts and perceptions? Lord, would it, would you do surgery this morning, I pray? Father, I thank you that your word, Lord, even if we read the same passage over and over and over again, Lord, you're always showing us something new. You're showing us a new application, so we ask for that today, Lord. Lord, we pray this all in your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. So last week we read that same passage and we looked at what does waiting well look like? What does waiting well look like? We saw Mary's response here at the end, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And three things stuck out in that. I'm a servant of the Lord. So there is a humility in her waiting. Let it be to me. So there's a willingness according to your word. So there's trust. So my encouragement to you last week was this, to wait humbly, willingly, and trustingly. I think we see that in the way that Mary responds to the angel. And reflecting more and more on that this week, I thought, you know, I usually get most of the way there. It really struck me that that's where Mary started the waiting process. That there was already a work of the Lord in her heart in a way that when presented with the idea, her initial reaction was humility, willingness, trust. Because I usually don't start right there. The Lord is faithful and He gets me there. But I tend to start with my own objections, concerns. But I thought it was really, really interesting that that's where she started that waiting process. We also talked about how the most difficult part of that waiting process is the trusting part. Because it's okay to be humble. You know, he's God of the universe. That one makes enough sense most days. I don't argue with him on that point. Willing, okay, I'm willing, sure, yeah, we'll do that. Um, but how long is this going to take, Lord? I mean, I have five minutes. Would that be enough? <laughs> it's that trusting part and that believing that waiting isn't wasting 
when we're waiting on God. That waiting isn't wasting when we're waiting on God. That's something we have to truly believe and hold on to if we're going to be able to wait with the trust that I think Mary had. And we talked about how pregnancy was a good example or metaphor for this idea because most of us would recognize that although you're pregnant and ready to be done with the pregnancy, you recognize that the waiting process is not a wasted process in those nine months. It's amazing to see what's happening along the way, right? To check in and see, you know, what fruit of the week it is for what size your child is. And so it's an amazing process to see what's happening. And you realize that although I'm maybe tired of being pregnant at 20 weeks, I recognize there's purpose behind waiting 20 more before the birth, right? And yet, (laughs) when the Lord has spoken a word to me, can you just do it on my timeline, please? Like, I really don't want to be pregnant in the middle of summer. Can we just have this kid before summer hits? You know, it's going to be really uncomfortable, feet swelling, all that stuff. Not interested. Let's have the kid a little early. But you see, the Lord's doing something. The Lord is at work in a way that requires a certain amount of time. Part of what Troy will talk about next week is what that time does for us in the waiting. Because that's really important. But it's also trusting and believing that God's going to do what He said He's going to do, and there's a lot of moving parts that He's waiting on. I love that scripture that we read during worship today. At the fullness of time, Christ sent His Son. At just the right time, Christ sent His Son. It takes faith to believe that God's going to do that for us. The other thing that I want to recap today is the fact that this word about waiting might not be appropriate. Uh, It's possible to be waiting on the wrong things. You're waiting for something that God doesn't have for you. And that waiting is wasting, I would say, right? There's another part that says that sometimes you're waiting, but it's not really on God. You're waiting on certainty. You're waiting for confirmation, maybe. You're waiting for another excuse to not have to step out and do what God's called you to. I'm not sure what you're waiting on, but you can wait on a lot of things that's not the same as waiting on God. So waiting isn't wasting when you're waiting on God. The other thing we're going to look at today is that waiting on God is waiting with God. It's not like you've been given some assignment and he sends you off to your room to wait for it to happen. There's a presence, a powerful presence of God that is at work in the waiting. That waiting on God is waiting with God. So I heard a lot of questions this last week of like, okay, so like, are you still with your parents? What's going on? What's the update? Because we've been in a season of waiting uh, around living situations specifically. Um, and 
the most important thing I've discovered in this season is how faithful God has been to be near, to be close, to be walking with us through this process. And by God's grace, that did result in a new house that we were able to move into three weeks ago. And by God's grace, and not our timing, because we were doing what we could to have a different timing, my wife is now 16 weeks pregnant, I think. So, but you see, I didn't want her to be 16 weeks pregnant. I wanted to have like a two-month-old right now. See, sometimes we want things on our own schedule. But let me tell you, trying to move, trying to live with mom and dad in two bedrooms with two babies would have been miserable, and I had no idea. Trying to move from mom and dad's into a new house with two babies would have been miserable, but I had no idea about the timing of things. And I, from my own experience, pregnancy is just a hard thing. So I want to pause and just acknowledge that. Um, not just the act of being pregnant and giving birth, although I'm very aware that that is challenging also. <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that sometimes you have a heart to be pregnant and you're not able to be. And there's a desire there. And I don't want to skip over that, by the way, that I'm talking about pregnancy this morning. And I don't want to make light of that unanswered prayer in the story that I'm about to tell. So I'm not telling the story I'm about to tell as though my wife and I are more special or on the nice list instead of the naughty list, so we got a child. I don't, God doesn't work that way, okay? He doesn't work that way. But we were trying for a child and not that wasn't being answered. And that was confusing to go through that process. And it's amazing how out of control you can feel in that process of trying and of longing and desiring and doing all you know how to do and it not happening, it not taking place. And so there was a trusting process in that that said, okay, Lord, we trust your goodness we trust your timing. And so, um, so God is really good, right? He was faithful in that way uh, for my wife and I that we didn't have to worry about living with my parents with a child, a second child, or living with my parents, uh, moving with, from my parents with a second child. I also want to make sure that you know that I know that living with my parents is itself a grace from God. That it's not at all that I was ungrateful for where the Lord had placed us. It just wasn't where I wanted to be. And it's, it's okay to hold both of those things at the same time. You don't have to not be grateful in order to give voice to the fact that you're disappointed. And you don't have to ignore the fact that you're disappointed in order to give voice to the fact that you're grateful. It can be both in the same. And oftentimes in life, it tends to be a muddled mess 
that looks something like that, where I'm disappointed and grateful at the same time, where I'm happy and excited and I'm sad. Death tends to be one of those places where those intertwine a lot, especially if you know where someone's going. That there's that loss and that sadness, but you don't have to choose to be sad or to be happy for where they are. You can feel both. It's okay. It's okay to feel both of those things at the same time. So God has been faithful to us. He's been able to provide for us financially in ways that I can't begin to tell you. It's been amazing to see his faithfulness. But however it showed up, I want you to take away this point that the, the grace was primarily his presence through it. And his presence showed up in different ways for us, just like his presence might show up different ways for you. That's going back to this idea of comparison. It's going to get in the way of a lot of what God has for you because you're going to compare how God is showing up for someone else because he's not showing up for you that same way. And that, that might lead to some disappointment that's not necessary because how he's showing up for you is how he's showing up for you and how he's showing up for them is how he's showing up for them. And there's grace for that. Lord, show us your nearness because he's always there. A story that I love is this idea of footprints in the sand. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about, okay? It's been around long enough. The gist of it is this. There's this person who is taking the opportunity to complain to God, which I know none of you would be so disrespectful <laughs> so as to complain to God. But this person was, okay? So we'll talk about him for a minute. So he was complaining to God about the fact that as he looks back on his life, and the metaphor is a beach here, he sees two pairs of footsteps when everything's great. He sees two sets. Lord, you were walking with me. You were close by. You were a good friend. We could, you know, have a good relationship together. But every single time, Lord, that things got hard, you weren't there. Because, see, there's only one set of footprints. You left me. And the Lord graciously says, What are you talking about? I was there the whole time, don't you see? No, that's what I would say. The Lord kindly says, Those footprints are when I was carrying you. There's only one set because you didn't have enough strength to walk. But the Lord was carrying you. He was near to you. See, when you're waiting on God, you're waiting with God. He is there the whole time. That does not mean that you have to choose to have faith or have questions. That's not what's being said. Because Mary's first thing she says is, how will this be since I am a virgin? Not sure if you know this, Lord, about how pregnancy works, but the, the literal Greek says, I don't know a man. 
I don't know a man. It's kind of necessary to know a man to have a child. I love comparing her question to the question earlier in the chapter when we have the birth of John the Baptist foretold. His father, Zechariah, says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And he was struck mute for asking the question. Silent from the time his wife's conception all the way to the birth of the son. When they finally said, listen, your wife wants to name this kid John, but that's not even a family name. What do you want to name the son? And he writes down John. And then he could speak. So it's not asking a question that's the problem. In Mary, you see an honest question. How can this be? I think in Zechariah you see something a pastor friend of mine calls the lust for certainty. How shall I know this? How can I be sure? So when you're doubting, my encouragement for you today is not to wait on certainty to wait on the Lord and when you're waiting on something other than the Lord you're probably listen certainty is one of those things that people love to hope for there's nothing certain except for things that have already happened that's the only place there's certainty in your life there's a lot of things that happen often enough that we feel pretty confident we could call it certain but there's nothing certain except the things that have already happened So if you're trusting for the Lord to do something in your future, it's not going to be certain. Okay? It's not. There's going to be concern. There's going to be, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And the one thing I want you to be certain of is that he will never leave you and never forsake you. He's faithful. He's present. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. In meditating on this scripture, this phrase about the angel's response to her question has been sticking with me as a a way to talk about that nearness that I think he wants us to experience. It says, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd, and so I'm going to nerd a little bit, but I think it's going to lead us somewhere that we're all going to appreciate, so let me nerd for a second, and then hopefully it'll get us somewhere where we can actually all appreciate this, okay? Um, The Greek word for spirit and the Greek word for come upon you only occurs twice in the New Testament in the same sentence, in the same verse, okay? Only two times. First time is here in Luke, where in the beginning of Luke, 
the Spirit will come upon Mary. The second time that it happens is in Acts 1.8. When it says that you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you at the beginning of Acts. One thing that's really fun, if you're bored this afternoon and you want to go do this, go read Luke and Acts together, okay? It's actually a two-volume set written by the same person, okay? And one thing you're going to notice is that what happens in the life of Jesus in Luke is what happens in the life of his disciples in Acts. The works that he does in the Gospel of Luke is what he does in Acts through his disciples. And this is one kind of hyperlink to think about that. So when Mary, the Spirit, came upon her to conceive a child, in Acts we see that the Holy Spirit came upon the people of God to conceive the church, to do what the Lord had called them to do. I just think that's really cool. The other thing, this idea of the Most High will overshadow you. So, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, originally, mostly. But there's a translation of it in Greek called the Septuagint. So we can see what some of the hyperlinks might happen to be between what the authors were writing in the New Testament that they might be trying to connect us back to in the Old Testament. Okay? Does that make sense? Um, because Greek was a common language, they probably grew up with both the Greek text and the Hebrew text. Actually, sometimes if you're reading in Paul's epistles where it says he's quoting from this passage in the Old Testament and it doesn't look quite right, most of the time, that's because he's quoting the Greek instead of the Hebrew. Okay? This word for overshadow, the first time that it's ever used in all of Scripture is to talk about when the cloud comes on the tabernacle at its finished construction at the end of Exodus. So I'm going to read that for us real quick. If you want to turn there with me, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Exodus 40. Starting in verse 34 says... Then the cloud, so this is after Moses has done everything that he's been asked to do to construct the tent of meeting. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it or overshadowed it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys." I think there is a reason why Luke is choosing a word that connects directly to this promise of presence through the people's journeys through the wilderness. It's because when we're in the wilderness of waiting, 
it is really good to have a promise of His presence. To know that even in the waiting, even in the uncertainty of what God's going to do, He's there. He's present. Another place that that Greek word is used in the Old Testament is in Psalm 91. So I'm going to read this as we close and ask instrumentalists to come and begin playing. Psalm 91. If you take your Bible and put your thumbs about halfway through and open it, you're probably going to be in Psalms. And then you turn to number 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you. He will overshadow you with His pinions. And under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bucklet. In case you don't know what a pinion is, because I had to Google it just to make sure. I mean, I have an idea of what it is in the context of the passage, but I wasn't really sure. It's talking about wings usually, but also extremities. His arms over and around you. So I'm going to read this again, and I want you to imagine that right now. If you can, with your mind's eye, using your holy imagination gifted by God to imagine this happening. His embrace overshadowing you. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions. He will overshadow you with His embrace. And under His wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him 
and show him my salvation. This last stanza is Yahweh speaking. So I want to read it to you one more time. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That is quite a promise. So as we take a moment here, I'd invite you to close your eyes. And to think about that overshadowing coming over the tabernacle coming over Mary the only other three times it's used in the gospels is when it's talking about the mount of transfiguration when the cloud comes over them and to think about right now him overshadowing you with his embrace He is near to the brokenhearted. In trouble, I will be with him. So Lord God, right now I ask, Father, that you would do what I wish I could, but can't. Lord, would you confirm this in each one's heart here today? Lord God, would you recall and remind them Lord, would you show them your nearness today? And Lord, for those that can't see it, Father, I pray that you would cause faith to rise, to believe it. I don't know if this is from the Lord or not, but I just had a quote from the Santa Claus come to my mind. Where Tim Allen is literally at the North Pole. And he says, I just don't believe it. And the elf comes to him. Judy says, you see, Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. So Lord, would you give a belief that sees today this truth? That you are here, moving in our midst, that you're here working in this place, that you're here setting captives free. whether I see it or not. I will choose to worship. 
us uh, as we respond. like there's a single pair of footsteps in the sand would you choose today to worship because let me tell you who my God is he's the one who stays close by your side through it all whether you know it or not he's there When you feel like your back is up against a wall and you're trapped by a sea on one side and an army on the other side, he says all you have to do is be still and see the salvation that he is working. He is a way maker. So we're going to sing this song together. And I encourage you to respond. And if that means standing and singing, if that means kneeling and crying, if that means coming up and asking for prayer, or any combination of those things or more, I want you to respond today because that's who our God is. That the cloud of fire, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire did not leave their midst throughout the entire time of their wandering. He is the way maker. He will show a way forward. And sometimes the way forward is just to be still and watch it happen.